Hello, my friends. So glad you've joined us today to listen to teaching about King Jesus. I'm glad those of you are here on campus. I'm also glad for those of you who have joined us online today. This is a powerful truth, and yet today we tackle a tough one as we enter into part two of King Jesus. The title today is this, Submit to His Authority. And these two words, submit and authority, are like the Concepts that most everybody hates. Aren't you glad you came? And so we're looking at these concepts to try to figure out what is this about? Why do people hate the idea of submitting? You know, they think, especially if you're an outsider to uh, our experience here, you would think, oh, here we go. It's top-down authority. We've got to do what they say. And it's a guilt trip if we don't. And on and on that goes with those kinds of feelings. But let's just start with the idea that this word submit it's a neutral term. And yes, it can be horrible, depending on who it is that you're supposed to submit to. It's a neutral term. It's a lot like the term employee. I mean, that's neutral. It can be great, especially if you're out of work. Oh, if I could only be an employee. It'd be great to get a job and have all of your needs met with an income. That would be fantastic. Or it can be horrible, depending on who it is that you're working for and how that supervisor or boss treats you and the authority they have over you. And so it can be great or it can be horrible. Just an example of that. Uh, an old high school buddy of mine years and years ago told me about how elated he was that he was able to work for a brand new company that was just growing so fast. It was called Google. And he was elated to work for them. And, and yet, there was company values and there was company practices and, and demands and things that he had to uh, meet expectations, but that didn't bother him because he had this fabulous job. Now, you might be thinking, wow, he was probably one of those tech guys that was really smart and got in on that ground floor and lucky him. Actually, he serviced their vending machines and was really excited to work for them because I, if I recall, instead of every employee having to pay for everything in the vending machines, the company paid for it. You could go to any of these vending machines anytime you wanted to get what you wanted so that you could be really working uh, and enjoying your work. And so what a vending machine dream for a guy that's supply, you know? It's just like he was so elated to work for them. So employee doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be a good thing, and so it is with the word submit. It's a neutral term. So along that line, I want you to think in terms of uh, not just employee, but because we're coming up on the passage, I know where we're going. I want to use the illustration of a coach. Isn't it interesting that the very best of the best athletes, even though they're better, if you say a world-class athlete, there are very few that are better than them in their expertise. Are there any best of the best that have no coaches? No. Every single one of them got there because they have coaches, and even though they're best, they want a coach because they understand something about themselves and the way they work. They didn't get to become the best because they coached themselves. They got to become the best because they submitted to a coach that was a great coach. Who you submit to is mission critical. 
when it comes to submit to authority. Now, the best of the best are actually better players in the very thing they're being coached in than every coach that ever coached them. But they know something, and here's what they know. On the screen is the best path for becoming the best version of you is the path of submitting to the right someone with authority. Don't settle for being your own coach. If you do, you settle for less. So the best of the best is actually the kind of person that understands I need to do what this coach says and they probably got a coach that works with their personality and it's going to work for them and if not they got to get another coach to make it work to bring out the best in them and so when we hear these terms submit to his authority remember let me put it this way and this is what I believe God has designed us to function best, to bring out the best version of us when we submit under not just his authority, but people in authority over our lives. Now, that's still something that people feel is a tough pill to swallow. And it's, it's a one that's troublesome for a lot of folks, not just outside in the world, but right within the church. Now, I want to shift a little bit to up the ante. We've been talking about athletes. We've been talking about employees. Let's shift it to soldier. That really changes things because now your submission to authority is a matter of life and death. And if it's a great authority, it's great. If it's a terrible authority, your life is in that terrible authority's hands. And it can be horrible. And so let's just put ourselves in the middle of the jungle, surrounded by... Uh, soldiers, uh, the enemy, all around us, and all we have in our hand is a handheld weapon. You are in trouble if you don't have a superpower to be under. If you have a superpower who happens to have a just cause and is a great superpower over you, now I'm just going to use metaphors I don't really know much about, so bear with me if you're in the service and you were there and it's not like this, but I'm going to make some stuff up as we go. And you have the ability to call on the authority who has aerial superpower ability to pinpoint accurately uh, weaponry from aerial warfare to soften the enemy, to open a way to bring about a rescue, I, I, I want to be a part of that. Especially when I'm surrounded by the enemy, where it's like my one weapon against all of this around me. And the reason I painted it in this way is that's the picture of what it looks like to live under the authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me get a little bit more personal. It's always dangerous when I do this because people start to try to give me some, you know, uh, medical help and all that kind of thing. Um, but a few weeks ago, I got up early in the morning like I tend to do on a, on a Sunday. It has nothing to do with an alarm. has more to do with internal <laughs> excitement. And I got up and I started to head down the hallway and I started to fall over because something in my inner ear was off and my balance was completely out of kilter. I, I had to mentally tell myself to walk straight because I was falling over because of balance messages in my head. 
And then it changed from a, that balance message to a quick flush and uh, heat because now I'm worried about how am I going to do this all day if I can't balance. And then it went to a nausea in my stomach where it's like, oh, this is terrible. And I'm thinking, how am I going to preach three times today when I can't stand straight? And so I was there kind of praying and, and, and then my lovely wife got up and I told her about it and she prayed with me. And she prayed a simple prayer. I was already starting to feel better. She was nervous because I was going to go and do this thing anyway, dizzy or not. And I came and she wanted to call David who was already here. Jim is about to drive there and he's dizzy. I just want to make sure he gets there. <laughs> and, and so David said, I can always just read his manuscript, which I'm glad he would volunteer to do that because I do write up a manuscript every time to try to prepare myself to bring you the message. He was just going to stand up and read it, but I wanted to bring you a message I was excited about, and I knew that just reading it wasn't going to do it justice, and so by gum, I was going to figure out a way to do this, so here's what I did, and you didn't even notice. I, I took my chair, and I pulled a chair and set it right here, and did most of my talking with my hand on this chair, so that I had a balance point every time I felt like, whoa, I'm tilting. So I'd grab this thing and be steady at a talk. Now, the next time I bring up a chair, don't think I'm dizzy. I might want to sit there. All right? It had no... Now, here's my point. It could have been just physical, and it might have been, but I had no balance issues by the time I finished preaching. I went running the next morning. I didn't have any issues balance whatsoever. I had no health problems that I know of. This was a battle to bring a message that I believe was an important message several weeks ago. And I experienced spiritual battles with frequency that I don't need to tell you about, and you experienced them too. Submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ is a beautiful thing because we've got aerial warfare. We're calling in the big guns. And when we need help, he sends rescue. And he is able to clear away and make things happen when we're doing it for him and we get things cleared up. And so there's a very personal side to this as well. So we've talked about employee, we talked about coach, we've talked about soldier. All of these themes kind of come together today in the passage that we're looking at together. Jesus, after he conquered in a battle that was the battle of all battles by dying on the cross for our sins, taking our sins and bearing them and taking them away and victoriously resurrecting from the dead. Before that victory, he told his disciples that he was going to do this. After that victory, he says, now I want you to meet me at a particular mountain in Galilee. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to commission you. And that's the passage I wanted to settle on. The empowering came a little later. And so they were all gathered there at a mountain in Galilee. And then Jesus came out to them. This is after his victory. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now we have seen in his ministry Previous to this, he had authority over demons, he had authority over illness, he had authority in so many different ways, but I think he was functioning with that authority like we are to function now, under the authority of his father. He was demonstrating what this looks like, 
things had changed now. Now he has a limitless authority. All authority has been given to him. All authority in heaven and on earth. Then he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All authority had been given to Jesus. Therefore, under that authority, here's what you're to do. We are to submit to his authority. And that doesn't just mean, great, I've got his protection. It means we're on a mission. This section is called the Great Commission of Jesus. I like to think of it as the Great Co-Mission with Jesus. We are always in a co-mission with Jesus, but it's a clash of authorities that is taking place because the battle continues until his return. Even though he's already won, the battle is real. Point number one, who's in charge? Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth. And he has won the victory. There is no question about it, but the war continues until the mop-up operation is complete. He is taking over the universe. In his first coming, he came with humility. In his first coming, he penetrated the dark world. In his first coming, he penetrated the world in rebellion and set up a kingdom that is beginning to grow from the size of mustard seed to take over the universe in heaven and on earth, and all authority is Jesus's authority. Amen. In Matthew 28, 18, which I quoted, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So this is a good thing. It's a fantastic thing. But there is something that is still a little bit uh, uh, fearsome, that we need to get a hold of. And what is it when somebody has all authority? On the screen is a quote, authority is the right to command, enforce, punish, and reward. If you're an employee, they can command, reward, enforce, punish, all of those things. They can fire you. They can enforce the rules that they set up because they're an employer. And they can reward you. And that's why it can be really, really good. It can be really, really awful. But with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's really, really good as long as we come under his authority. It's really, really bad if we step out from under his authority and we are now in defiance of the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so it, it is serious business, and people don't like that, and I get it, especially when we start talking about judgment, because he has talked about how he is going to return, and he is going to separate those who are under his authority and those who have rejected him. And there's just a dividing line, and he's the dividing line, and he has the authority to decide who is going to be judged and who is not going to be judged, and he's able to read the hearts in a way that we cannot, and he'll know, and nobody will accuse him of being wrong. After the fact, a lot of people don't like that 
And they don't believe it because they don't like it. But I happen to believe it because there have been hundreds and hundreds of prophecies about Jesus' coming. And every one of those prophecies came to fruition in incredible detail, ways in which you can't prophesy centuries and even millenniums in advance and make it all play out. And so if Jesus was just a human being that died, was buried, and rose from the dead, we could jump to all kinds of conclusions. Well, that was a weird alien experience. He's probably somebody from some other planet. No, this is all God's plan pre-laid out with all the details so that we would know precisely what's happening, why it's happening, and who he is. And I happen to believe that the evidence is overwhelming that the actual resurrection took place. And because of that, this is a powerful statement that he has the right to command, enforce, punish, and reward. He, in his first coming, was all humility. In his second coming, the cleanup operation is going to be made complete, and he will reign forever, and there will be no question about who is supreme. Paul even says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Revelation finishes that he is Lord of lords and King of kings. There is no other. That he's supreme. Now, you can buck against it and you can not like it, but you better have a really good reason to get to the place where you're okay with that because I have some powerful reasonings and thoughts in my thought processes that, that this is true, this is real. And we need to kind of wrestle with that reality because something took place. So we have a problem, particularly where we live. In North America, we North Americans are endlessly conditioned to distrust authority. We are encouraged to question authority. We are urged to color outside the lines, even to children, Disney's Elsa sings, to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. We did a whole series on how this is not freedom. This is a great path to destruction. Self-destruction, because God has given us commandments that are for our blessing. And if we just want to color our own commandments and do our own thing and create our own system, we're going to bring destruction upon ourselves and we're seeing it and people are so blind to it, they don't see how they're destroying their own lives. And so I plead with you to consider the evidence and to open your eyes that the best pathway is with a coach. The best pathway is with the teacher. The best pathway is choosing your authority well because you're not a very good king of your own life. As soon as you take the throne of your own heart and begin to make decisions for yourself, it, it, it leaves a wake behind you of destruction and problems. And so here's the next quote. Some of our distrust for authority is well-deserved, but a lot of the distrust in North America is a little more than immature desire to remain in charge. We want to command our own destiny and define our own rules, and usually with devastating results. Warning, we are often tempted to look for the real me and what I really want, 
But the selfish me will often urge us to take easy paths and ditch hard commitments. And if we think we're going to find the real me by taking easy paths and ditching hard commitments, we're going to reap the consequences. Our heart, and I need to speak more metaphorically, our internal me, who we really are, the Bible describes as not a pumping thing, but our soul. But if you can picture your heart becoming callous, the same way you develop a callous on a hand, where you're not going to obey that rule. You're going to do your own thing. Step outside of the authority. You develop this callous. At first, if you're walking with Jesus, the Holy Spirit inside of you convicts you that this is wrong. And then it hurts. It's like that tender blister. It's like, ouch, that was rubbing against the grain. And it's created a problem. I should do something and protect that and not do that. And the Holy Spirit will keep doing that, but eventually, we, if we keep doing it anyway, we grieve the Holy Spirit, Scripture says. And with grieving the Holy Spirit, now that blister no longer hurts. And rather than that being a blessing, it's a curse. We develop a calloused heart. We continue in the behavior and lifestyle that we've chosen for ourselves because we want to, even though it's against God. And we like it, it's our friend, even though it's an enemy position against God himself. It's a raised fist saying, I want my own way. And if we continue in that path, the scripture says our heart not only is calloused, it becomes as cold, hard, dead as stone. And we have no way to fix that ourselves. And believe it or not, before each one of us met Jesus, that was the condition of our internal soul. The Bible says we had hearts of stone. But the prophecy says there's going to be a coming one who will remove your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. And he'll put his spirit into you so that you will want to do what he commands. If you're having trouble wanting to do what he commands, you're having trouble with the internal you. And that's what we're talking about here. Kick yourself off the throne. Stop kicking God off the throne. In fact, ask the Lord Jesus Christ, back on the throne. And he'd be happy to, as long as you admit, I need you and I'm made a mess of things. I'm there frequently, even now, as a pastor. It's what it looks like to breathe spiritually. I exhale the problem. I confess that problem. I breathe in the spirit and in, in, in the forgiveness of Jesus. And I'm revitalized by what has taken place on the cross so that I want to please Jesus again. That's called revival. A stepping out of the path of deadness that we tend toward. And I think it happens every day. Even for those of us who walk with Jesus, we choose a path where we ignore him and we go our own way. Who's in charge? Jesus. Point number two, your mission, change the world. He was not just trying to change us, he's changing us so that we can change the world. And if we walk with Jesus in the way I've described, where he's on the throne, we have a mission, change the world. And when he was calling people to do this, some people think, well, that's just for the pastor. That's just for the 12 disciples. That's not for me. I'm not equipped. Let's look at this again. Matthew 28, 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. What you can't see very well is that every one of these verbs that are here are verbs in the plural you. The word you doesn't show up in the English. It shows up right within the verb itself in the Greek. It's not to a singular you. It's the plural y'all. <laughs> you all need to go make disciples. Baptizing the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the main verb here is not go. The main verb here is not teaching. The main verb here is not uh, baptizing. The main verb is right here. Make disciples. Everything else is a participle that's a supportive, but it's got an Im- Im- imperative because it's tied to this imperative command for every one of us to get a hold of. Every single person that becomes a follower of Jesus has been charged by Jesus to join him on a mission. Reminder from last week. If you missed last week, we're not on a cruise ship. We're not on a cruise ship for our own customer satisfactions and choices. We're on a rescue ship under a commander who gives us jobs to do so that we can all together be effective at making disciples. And that's who we are. And that's what the church is about. And sometimes lose sight of this fact. Since this is the king's great commission, we need to submit to his authority. To fail to do so is high treason. I'm using some really strong language because the church needs to be woken up. We think of everybody else's job is to make disciples, not mine. I can't do it. I can't help somebody know Jesus. I don't know the answers. I don't know the Bible. I can't talk about it. Okay, well, let's train you. Let's equip you. Let's get out there. If you know Jesus and you know how you got to know Jesus, you have a job to do. Help people know the Jesus you know. Can I make it really simple? If you can't talk about Jesus, here's something you can do. Make friends with people who are far from God and far from Jesus. Be their friend. And I want to talk to you about why that's important. So here we are. Point number three. Let's review. Who's in charge? Jesus. Your mission? Change the world. And how? You do the math. Now I'm going to do a play on words here at the Greek. Okay? The word mathetuo is the word make disciples. Okay? It's the verb. A disciple is a mathetes. Disciple. The verb is disciple somebody. So you disciple. The same noun becomes a verb. Disciple. Make disciples. Discipling is a verb. Being a disciple is who we are. Okay? If you're a disciple, you say, I'm following Jesus, then you have a verb to do. A disciple disciples. And here's the problem in North America. We have a lot of people who are just saying, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. How many other followers are followers of Jesus because you made disciples out of them? Not me. Who are you talking to about Jesus so that they can become a disciple? Not me. Did you know that in North America, we have more gospel preaching, more fantastic teaching, more wonderful Bible studies than any other country, and we're the worst at this? The third world nations are exploding with growth because every follower is talking to others about Jesus and followers are making followers. They're doing the math. They're not just adding people to the church. It's exponential. Kaboom! Because everybody is making disciples. 
and across the globe, the Christian movement is exploding in America, not so much. It's a lot of shifting sheep. From this church to this church, from this cruise ship to this cruise ship, I like this menu, I like this. And it's not a lot of disciple-making. We're on a rescue mission. Each one of us needs to learn how to be an influence with the friends that we have. And I'm bad at this. I don't have a lot of friends who are far from God. Most of my friends are close to God. I need to reach out with those who need Jesus and make friends with people and be friendly to people who are far from God and they're against me. That's okay. I can be for you even if you're against me. Jesus was for me when I was against him. We need to make disciples just like Jesus did. So what does this look like? Making disciples means teaching people incrementally to want Jesus as Savior and King, commit their allegiance to Jesus, and grow and become like Jesus. So let me just tell you where we're failing. We're doing a lot of disciple teaching but not disciple-making. We're doing a lot of Bible studies, but not a lot of Bible steps. We're doing a lot of school training, but not a lot of coaching lives. We are doing a lot in groups and not very much in relationships. We're failing at the mentoring role of what this is all about. And so from this point forward, it is my mission to help our church to become a disciple-making church instead of just a teaching church. Because we're not doing it just by learning more facts. The more we know about the Bible, the more responsibility we have to be making disciples and coaching others and helping people in the very basics of what this is all about. So what does it mean to grow and become like Jesus? It means growing and becoming like Jesus in his morals, transformed lifestyle, it's what I do. In his meaning, transformed identity is because of of who I am now. And in his mission, transformed purpose because of who he is. Now, notice I didn't mention it's my morals, my meaning, my mission. No, your morals, your meaning, your mission is now reflecting his morals, his meaning, his mission. Across the churches in America, most people think of Christianity only in these terms. I need to get rid of this habit and this habit and become more nice person and become more like Jesus. That is not Christianity. Christianity is this, where his whole meaning, who he is, and what his mission is becomes our meaning and our mission because that's our Savior and he's giving us orders and commands that I'm becoming like him because I'm merged with him and his spirit is changing me. If we don't have transformation, all we have is information. Okay? And we need transformation, and we need to submit to the authority of Jesus. So let me just boil this down to a really good, easy next step. Let's be people who make friends with people who don't know Jesus. Because if we make friends and we really care about their lives, it'll come out. Really care. You'll really care about the struggles they're in. And you'll meet those needs. You'll really care about the things you're trying to serve them in. And you'll begin to serve them. You'll really care enough to where you're influencing their lives. And then you can start talking about some stuff. It's not about how much you know. It's about who you know. Introduce them 
to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this challenge that you left us with and equipped us for by your Spirit. Help us to be a church that learns how and also begins to actually make disciples, doing the math, people to people in an exponential way, making a difference all across this valley and beyond to make a difference in the globe. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.